Digital Marketing Radio, episode 254. What is product-led SEO and why does it matter? Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the podcast and YouTube show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends as shared by today's modern marketing masters. Now, SEO has changed a lot over the last few years, and no, it's not dead yet. It's not going to die. It's still a very important part of your business. In fact, in this episode 254 of Digital Marketing Radio, I'm speaking with a man who believes that nothing can take your business to the next level like search engine optimization. Why do I know that? It's on the back cover of his brand new book, Product-Led SEO, the why behind building your organic growth strategy. He is a former director of growth at SurveyMonkey and a current growth advisor and SEO strategic consultant at the likes of Tinder, Coinbase and Mixpanel. Welcome to DMR, Eli Schwartz. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Eli. Um, So you can find Eli over at elischwartz.co. So Eli, why do you believe that no other channel can match SEO? I mean, the the core thesis of my book is that SEO is is the most profitable channel. It's it's the highest growth channel. And I think, you know, one of the things that everyone has to think about who actually says that SEO is dead is how many times do they not do SEO? Do they not click on a, something on a search result? Like how many times do they click on a paid ad? How many times do they discover something on just paid social? How many times are they only discovering products that people told them by word of mouth or you know, an email. We're all searching. We're all buying from search. Most of the stuff that we discover for, you know, it's hopefully the summer of travel. Everyone that's planning mm-hmm. their, their travel this year, you're doing Google searches. Two of you are doing Bing searches, but you're all clicking on organic results. And the effort that those companies put in to be visible organically they don't have to do that on a daily basis. They don't have to continue paying for that position. They invested in something, they built something great, and they continue to stay there. So that's why I think it's, first of all, never, ever going to die. And second of all, it's the most profitable channel because you put that investment in, you build your strategy, you decide where you want to be placed, and then you can really sort of sit back and wait for the results to roll in. So you're building that investment and you can go on vacation. And if you've built something great, it will continue working for you. So leafing through your book, uh, you used Amazon as one of your examples. Now, Amazon, uh, as far as I'm aware, were very much driven by Google Ads or Google AdWords, as it was called back then, in terms of early success. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is a a heavy focus on SEO appropriate for every stage of your business? Or is it more appropriate to focus on paid first and then SEO once, once you get a bit of traction? Yeah. So I love that question. And I talk to, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, a lot, a lot of people reach out on LinkedIn to talk about potential consulting engagements. The book has helped drive some more of that. And I'd say probably three quarters of the conversations I have with companies, I tell them that they shouldn't be talking to me. I tell them that they should go find a paid agency or they should hire someone to manage their paid spend. And the reason why is because SEO is a 12 to 18 month investment. If you're early in your development of a company or you're early in product market fit, you don't have 12 to 18 months to sit around. Even more than that, you don't have the resources to invest in a strategy that you don't know is necessarily going to stick, or you don't have the resources to devote to something where there isn't necessarily something to do every day. That's why I think paid marketing is the the place everyone should go and they should start with. And once they have reached some sort of marginal level, 
And that could be they're spending too much money. You know, for some companies, spending too much money is you know a hundred thousand down the dollars. For other companies, it's two million dollars. Whenever they reach that point where they just say, you know, I'm spending a lot of money. What if I took five percent or ten percent of what I'm spending on paid and tried to replicate this organically? That makes a lot more sense than we must do SEO. We have to figure out SEO. You don't have to figure out SEO. There are many, many companies that never, ever figure out SEO. And I think Amazon's a great example of that. What Amazon did, and the reason I, I talk about Amazon in my book, and the reason I love Amazon, is Amazon doesn't do SEO the way that most people do SEO. They Amazon does product-led SEO. I did not invent that term, and I, I didn't come up with this idea. But what Amazon does is they focus on SEO as a product, which is how do we build the most optimized website in the world to surface all products? They don't care to say, we need to be number one on um, Shure microphones. We need to be number one on Logitech webcams. They just say, we're going to build the most optimized page that crosslinks, that has the best content, that is built the way that, first of all, users are going to engage and buy. Because the most important thing to Amazon, of course, is that people shop, not that they read. It's not a content website. It wasn't a content website. Now, now it's debatable what they do with all that content. But they, that's the way they built their company. They built their website as a product. And you know what? Many, many times they win and many times they don't win. And no one's really paying attention to that. They're looking at the aggregate. And I think what's amazing is I wrote my book you know, before 2020 happened. Um, it, was, it was wrapping up in 2020. And one of the hottest or a few of the hottest items that people searched for in the year 2020, Amazon was ranking number one for. And in 2000 or whatever year it was, they came up with that SEO strategy. No one said, you know what? In 20 years from now, it's going to be really important that we're ranking for latex gloves and surgical masks and toilet paper and hand sanitizer. But they did because they built that really, really good product. So would it have made sense for Amazon to only build from SEO and ignore every other channel? Absolutely not. They wouldn't be Amazon today if they had. Instead, what Amazon did was they built this really, really good product. They built this really good website, and really good e-commerce catalog. And then on top of that, they drove paid ads towards their website so people would discover their product offering. They built an amazing brand. They built word of mouth, right? They did all those other things and then SEO complements it. And you know, we don't know how much of their revenue is driven by SEO versus other channels, but SEO is a sizable part of their revenue and it was not and it could not have been early on and they may not have been Amazon had they actually said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to crush it organically. Yeah, I'm not sure if Amazon spent any money on content because nowadays, of course, they publish other content but they get influencers to create the content on their behalf and they're, there's there's they're, they're very focused on video now of course as well but in terms of product-led seo you, you gave a, a massive e-commerce site as an example does that mean that product-led seo is more suitable for e-commerce and for other brands out there that may not have a large portfolio of products that perhaps aren't an e-commerce brand that product-led seo isn't right for them Product-led SEO is right for anyone that wants to do a strategic SEO play. And what I mean is, and, and we can break that down a little bit of who, who the, first of all, SEO should not apply to. Actually, let's talk about that first. There are many sites that should not do SEO at all and should never do SEO. And the reason I think e-commerce is a great fit for SEO is because you can easily track that conversion. What most people do when it comes to e-commerce is they have a very specific need. They search, they find the product. If it makes sense for them, they buy that product. Maybe they'll do a little bit of comparison shopping, but it sort of ends there. 
It's not going to be one of these things where they're like, oh, wow, I really need a microphone. Um, this is what I want for Christmas. And let me make sure to bookmark this page. And when it comes time for Christmas, I'm going to come back and revisit this. Now, when it comes to other sort of products that are like that, and you know, great example of that is B2B SaaS, where you have a specific need, you discover that there's a specific product that will, or a specific software that will solve that need. Then you go to your boss or you go to your CFO and you start thinking through budget. And then, um, you know, you get retargeted and you're not really sure whether this is something you want to do, but the retargeting ad says, come join a webinar or you get a free trial. The, the attribution gets very messy. So is SEO a profitable channel for that? Probably, but it's hard to know. E-commerce, I think it's very easy to say, well, someone searched and then they bought, most people bought within that session. So that's where I think SEO makes a lot more sense when you can say, this is a profitable channel. This is where I know to invest into it. Now, switching back to product-led SEO, there's lots of ways to do SEO. But my hypothesis in the book is when you're doing SEO, it's not about, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, it's not about like doing keyword research and saying, I really want to optimize for this term because a lot of people search it and therefore I need to write content for it. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever because it's not about whether a lot of people search for it. It's do a lot of people need what I'm creating. And that's what I advocate for in the book, create something that people need. And this is something I looked at yesterday. Actually, I don't know when you're releasing this, but it, I'm sure that when you release this episode, the Delta variant will still be bothering many people and will still be very concerned. Yeah, about it'll, it'll be within the next two weeks. Yeah. Okay. So Delta variant is still going to be concerning for many people and for a long time in the future. And if you look at the search, the searches on Google Trends for the word Delta, they spiked twice in the last 18 months. The first time was, I think, last October when there was a hurricane named Delta. So everyone searched Delta, Delta hurricane, and now people are searching Delta variant. Now, if you were to optimize just for search volume, if you were um, you know, competing with Delta Airlines, maybe, you would look at this and say, wow, there's so many searches per month, but you're not really digging into the context. What do people want to know when they search the word Delta? Do they want an airline? There's a plumbing company named Delta. Do they want to know like, you know, what the damage from that hurricane was? Do they want to know what are the symptoms of the Delta variant? So when I say product-led SEO, I really bring it back to you're building a product. You're not just creating a blog post because there's a lot of search volume for it, a piece of content. There's a lot of search volume for it. What you really want to say is when people search this word, what is it they want? They want, again, if it's the Delta variant for COVID, they want a list of symptoms or maybe statistics. If it's Delta Airlines, they just, they want Delta Airlines website. That's all they want, right? If it's a Delta hurricane, they probably just want, you know, a list of, again, a list of statistics. Writing a long blog post doesn't really help. And I'd say like one of my favorite examples of, of how, SEO has sort of changed and maybe SEO misses the mark today in the way some people do this is um, when you think about sports games. So there's a popular search or there was a popular search. What time does the game start? So back in the day, there were many, many media sites that used to write entire blog posts. So what time is kickoff? And I don't know how you start uh, your, mm. your, your European football games, but uh, they, they start the game. So we want to know what time, what time does the game start, right? What, yeah. And you could write a blog post. So what Google did, and I, I call that SEO arbitrage, because you're, you're trying to grab that search and then you write this really long blog post and people have to read through and be like, oh, cool, 6 sure. p.m. That's all I need to know. Now, Google disintermediates that with a knowledge graph result and they just give you, give you the answer. But I'd say like, what's most important is understanding what is it the user wants. And then you're building a product around what is it the user wants and switching back to Amazon. And you said content for, you know, talking about how Amazon creates content. Amazon owns IMDb. So when mm -hmm. someone searches the name of a movie, they're looking 
most likely they just want to know if it's a good movie. So why would you build an entire review and make people read through it and be like, well, this is a romantic comedy and you know, this thing happens and that thing happens. And then the end you're like, you know, I don't recommend you watch it. IMDb, they know exactly what people want. They want to know is a good movie. Here's a score. Maybe scroll down a little bit. Here's some people that are in it. Scroll down more. Maybe there's snippets from the movie. That's called building a product. That's not saying, oh, well, people search the name of this movie, so I'm going to write a really long piece of content, make you suffer through reading that piece of content. So is it not a good idea for a business to have a blog anymore? If it makes sense, if there are users that need to read that blog. So uh, and, and breaking this all down into how different sort of businesses should do SEO. So B2B, B2B SaaS, I don't think they should necessarily invest in SEO because it's going to convert their product, their acquisition into, into product sales directly. I'm sure SEO always works, but I don't, it's not really trackable. However, they can do brand SEO. So one day people are going to go back to conferences and they're going to be introduced to B2B software. So maybe that's when a blog post makes sense of saying, hey, this is how our product is different, or this is how uh, our team has these diversity goals. So if you want to work with one of the companies that do all the same thing, you want to work with our company because we're better people. So that's where a blog makes sense. But to write a blog just to go after keywords it has to be something that people want to go after keywords for. So if an SEO has an opportunity to work closely with a product developer, um, what kind of insights can they give the product developer to try and steer them in a direction of creating something that people actually want? Talk to users. I, I'd say like the number one thing I've seen in my career and in the most successful SEO websites are ones that have such tight engagement with users. So really understanding what is it that the users want. So, you know, flipping back to IMDb, IMDb knows that users just want a score. They don't want an entire review unless they search the word review, like movie review. So whatever it is that you're building, know that you're building it for real users in my book, I give examples of how you can gather this data. So you can do, you know, run surveys. So that can be like an actual survey where you send it out to potential users, or that could just be like, talk to 10 people, you know, and get qualitative responses of what are people looking for when they have this specific problem? And what do they expect to see? Do they want to see a video? Do they want long form content? Do they just need a table of data? So when you're building, and, and that's why I love calling a product-led SEO, because when you build an actual product, you build something because you believe there's going to be product market fit. That means you've talked to users, you've done your research. When you're doing SEO, it should be the exact same thing. It shouldn't be based on going to the Google keyword planner or going to SEMrush or going to Ahrefs and saying, I'm going to write this because there's this amount of people searching for it per month. Mm, absolutely. Um, in your book as well, you say that Bill Gates said that content is king back in 1996. And up to maybe 10 years ago or so, it was certainly possible to be very successful from an SEO perspective from fairly shoddy content. Um, is, there, is there a certain type of content, volume of content that users and search engines alike are more likely to prefer nowadays? I think what Google's really getting into is they're trying to better understand what content users want. Now, I know there's a constant debate over whether user, or Google uses click metrics from the search results. I don't think Google looks at click metrics on individual search results because it's just too complicated. And I was fortunate in that, you know, I lived in Silicon Valley up until very recently and I had many, many friends that worked at Google and they had very specific things that they weren't allowed to talk about. But I had, I had some specific questions that I knew how to ask them and, and figure out and sort of glean information. And one of the things that I've learned from all of my friends that work at Google 
and I hope they don't listen to this and know that they gave me secret information, is that Google is a super scientific company. Everything they do is based on data. So like even when it comes to, and I've had multiple friends that worked on the spam team. So even when it comes to analyzing reconsideration, reconsideration requests and analyzing spam, and if someone sends in a reconsideration request and they say, we've done all these things to fix our site and we deserve to be back in index, the person on the search quality team has to read that and ignore all the motion behind it. And what they do is they run a script on it and they scientifically look at that waiting and say, is it good? Is it bad? The same thing I believe happens in search results. Google is not going to scientific, going to say, well, you know, this just got more clicks and therefore it should be number one. Google's looking aggregate and looking for ways they can write code to say, well, this website in aggregate more people bounce faster. So let's do an experiment to move it up or down. So I think Google does look at click metrics at a, at a grand scale to try to learn how to make better results. And like, that is what, and I, you know, I talk about this in my book, how search is just a product. Google's improving the product for everyone. So when Google's creating algorithm updates, they're just new product releases, just like when they update a, a their, the pixel and they update an Android. So, Google looks at types of content, and then from that, they learn what is it that people wanted. Do, again, do they want video? Is you know, there's, a, there's a search people are doing, and it, they all want multimedia content. So they're going to link to video, and they're going to link to music playlists. Or is it something that they want long-form content? They want to analyze something. So I, I think that's what it comes down to is like, we have to, again, create and write for what it is that we know the users want, because that's what Google is trying to do also. Now, Google are very AI-driven, and they're trying to increasingly trust the machine. But chapter three of your book is SEO is a job for humans. So what tasks are good to automate? And what SEO tasks will you always need human involvement for for the foreseeable future? So Google's AI-driven in the respect that they can do learning at scale. Right, so we're constantly teaching the algorithm and teaching the machine what should rank. So, like, you click on stuff, and we're teaching Google that this search. Let's say again, going for Delta, right? So, um, when Google didn't know, Google didn't teach the algorithm or tell the algorithm that there's a new thing called the Delta variant. What happened is people started searching Delta variant. Google never heard of this term before. Maybe Delta variant existed in a much smaller scale for something else that had a variant called Delta. And then Google saw, hey, everyone's scrolling down and they're looking for the WHO or they're looking for CDC. So now we've taught Google that this is a variant and then Google can incorporate that. And then they can layer on this as a, a your money or your life kind of query. And now they know that not to show, show shoddy websites on that, right? Like that's where AI makes sense. Now, where I think humans will always matter is if you're creating something for humans. So say you're creating e-commerce. You can't have AI write the, the product description because, you know, someone's going to buy that product, a human's going to buy that product. And if the AI hasn't properly written the description, they're going to return it. They're going to give you bad reviews. So where I say SEO is a job for humans is we're selling to humans. The ultimate goal of SEO is to have users engage with something, to buy something, to learn something, to read something, whatever it is. If you're doing that for humans, you need a human to know what is it that you're doing. The AI piece is you can use AI to learn how to cross-link your website. You can use AI to learn what sort of um, things you're showing up for in search and maybe optimize that better. But you can't write content. You can't you put human emotion into the way your website is structured by using machines to do that.
So we started off with your thoughts that um, it's not right to focus on SEO all the time. You can focus on paid ads to begin with, get a certain level of profitability before coming back to SEO. But um, can I just ask you about how SEO works with other marketing methods, uh, marketing channels? So for example, how does an SEO work effectively with a social media marketer and achieve more together? So I... I'll answer the question you didn't ask before we get to the social media, which is how does SEO work better with paid? So I think the most important thing for any, and this is why I wrote the book more for executives. A, a lot of the book is towards executives and some of the book is towards, you know, people that are earlier in their SEO careers and, and want to use some of the, the thoughts here to go to their boss and get budget for the right things. But when it comes to how you structure SEO, I think the most important thing is to really to understand what SEO is and where it fits in the funnel. So SEO is high, high in the funnel. We're just doing research. And that's why I, when it comes to like B2B SaaS, I don't think it's necessarily the best investment because it's too high in the funnel. No one is going to do a search and say, wow, this is great. This is exactly the cloud tool I need. It costs a million dollars. Let me just go get a credit card and I'm going to buy it, right? There's a lot of decision-making that happens that has to happen further down. So when you acknowledge that SEO is top of the funnel, then you can say, well, paid is bottom of the funnel. So let's create a lot of at top of funnel that we can now funnel through this conversion funnel and then paid will convert them with retargeting or the words we've now taught the users. Social media, I think fits right in the middle. So now once someone has discovered something with social media, maybe that's when social media can engage them. They're not necessarily ready to buy, but you can remind them you exist. So let's say when it comes to something where SEO isn't the best fit for a bottom of the funnel conversion, that's where social media could be a good fit to say, well, you've just learned that we exist you're not ready to click a buy button, but would you be okay following us on Facebook, liking or following us on LinkedIn or, or following our Twitter page? And then we can stay in touch. So I think a lot of that content that you produce for SEO that's more top of the funnel can also make sense to be shared on social media and to re-engage or continue engaging with those that find you on social media. And then the, again, the job of social media isn't just to create engagement and to get a lot of likes and, and all that. The job of social media is to say, hey, watch this video and then you're more likely to click the paid ad in our very video and then become a converted sale. Great thoughts. Okay, well, let's segue to part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Eli's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with... Secret software. So Eli, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. So I, I have a, a number of tools that I was thinking about for this. So one is um, that doesn't get a lot of, a lot of publicity is calendar.com. So calendar.com has some tools that are very similar to Calendly, but it also mm -hmm. gives you analytics on how you're spending time in meetings and even allows you to record meetings. So um, I would encourage everyone to, to check out calendar.com. And then there's some other tools that, you know, I'm fortunate that I published a book. So a lot of tools and tool makers reach out to me to have to, for me to check out their tools and see if like they make sense um, probably for future books or, or for, you know, giving to clients. So I, I've just checked out nightwatch.io. It's a tool I'd never seen before on track rank, tracking rankings and doing some research. Um, I'm using Rank Ranger and I'm ambassador for Rank Ranger. Rank Ranger is as well known as some Russian Ahrefs. Um, really, really like the way I can build white label reports. So those are the, the three tools that, that I thought of, like, they're not secret. They're just uh, lesser known. Well, they're secrets to some people and uh, they'll certainly be useful for some people to look up there. So um, great stuff. So moving on from something that you currently use to something that you're going to use. So that is next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? 
I've been wanting to try this for so long and, and I'm embarrassed to, to say this recorded, but I uh, have collected many, many email addresses. I've had an email address pop up on my website for years and I've sent like three emails. So it's not a tool, it's a tactic. I, I need to talk to the people that have subscribed to my list. You know, I have a MailChimp account. They're all in there. I have a SendFox account. They're all in there. Uh, I, I, you know, every time I say it out loud, I know I need to do it. For a while, my excuse was I used all my writing resources to write my book. Um, now I have no excuse. So uh, I need to do it. Hopefully this is my impetus you know, to feel foolish and actually do this. <laughs> the thing is, um, you're naturally... Um focused or, or turned on by one particular channel. And uh, obviously yours is SEO and mine is used to be SEO, but probably is more podcasting and video nowadays. But I'm not particularly motivated by email as well. And um, um, I was speaking to a chap called um, Joe Glover in the previous episode, and he runs the Marketing Meetup in the UK. And he writes wonderful emails as a summary of each um, webinar that he does as well. And that's perhaps his 40. So I guess maybe you might be better outsourcing it or, or automating it? Uh, or would you want to do everything yourself? It's a fair point. So I, and then going back to the job that SEO is for humans, some of these things, uh, and it's not just that SEO is for humans, the, when you're creating human engagement, it, sort, it feels sort of weird to outsource someone, my voice to someone else. So if, mm. I'm, if I'm sending emails and saying, hey, here's the things that I'm thinking about, really it's something that someone else is thinking about, just feels awkward to me. Okay, let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions, just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready? Both? Okay. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or Can LinkedIn? I, do I have to explain? No, I'll, I'll ask you to explain into one answer that you struggle with at the end. So I'll just say Facebook or Twitter just now. Oh, sorry, Facebook or LinkedIn? <laughs> LinkedIn all the way. YouTube or podcast? Uh, podcast. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? Both. <laughs> ads or influencers? Ads. Google ads or Facebook ads? Facebook ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email. Martech Stack or all in one platform? All in one platform. One to one or scale? Scale. That was easy, yes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a challenge to begin with as well. And um, I guess you surprised me a little bit by saying both for paid search and SEO, but I guess as well, you explained yourself earlier on by saying uh, SEO doesn't sit in isolation and um, you maybe have to focus on paid to begin with. Yeah, I, so I think it's wrong when people want to champion either channel and say paid is the best and then they ignore organic. And I think it's wrong to say organic is the best thing or paid. You have to do both. And I think that, you know, your other question about influencer, um, what was it? Influencer ads are, versus, ads are influencers, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think influencer makes sense for some businesses and doesn't make sense for other businesses. And, and no one should write anything off because it didn't make sense for someone else. And no one should say, uh, you know, SEO worked for me, so therefore you have to do SEO, or SEO didn't work for me, so now you shouldn't do SEO. It, each each business has its own users and its own um, custom way of, of engaging with whoever it is they need to engage with, and they should figure out what works for them. Is it possible to be great at both SEO and paid search? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I think paid search is something that can be outsourced very easily. You know, uh, I've worked with some great agencies and the um, agencies that were able to scale from like tens of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars per month. And at the same time, we had some great SEO going on on the side. So it's really just a building different funnels and building different conversion paths. Okay, great. Well, let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? So I, this is too easy for me. So first of all, I had a, an interview question. I used to ask people uh, if they had uh, give them uh, many millions of dollars and they had to spend it before the end of the quarter, what would they spend it on? And I loved asking that because I could see if they were creative. And mm-hmm. you know, where most of the, my interviewers failed is whatever I was interviewing for them, they told me that's what they would spend it on and they just couldn't get out of that box. They'd say, oh, well, I'm interviewing for them for SEO and they'd be like, I'd spend on SEO. And I'm like, how do you spend $10 million in SEO in the next seven days? So um, this question's easy for me because I have a very specific thing to do. I just wrote a book. So I would buy my book and just send it to the amount of people that would equal $10,000. I find that people read my book, they end up either buying it for their team or um, telling someone else about it. Hopefully they'll give me a review on Amazon. And, you know, I'm a, I'd like to think long into the future. So $10,000 spent on sending books today will hopefully turn into $50,000. Again, it doesn't need to be tomorrow in five years from now. So I think that's the best investment I can make for my own business. I, uh, the way I wrote the book and the reason I wrote the book is obviously I'm a consultant and a growth advisor, and this is tangential to what I do. And, you know, I also can go have speaking engagements. So the book is, is a thing of itself. So, uh, the, having more books out there will feed those other, other uh, businesses. What's more valuable as a call to action, as a next step for someone after reading um, your book? Would it be to write a review on Amazon? Would it be to opt into your email list? Uh, would it be to contact you on your website or something else? The real call to action I end the book with, which is that they should just do better SEO. I, I think that, you know, I had an opportunity to share the way I think about SEO and I think people should do SEO that's better for all users. You know, we all, as searchers, we all know what terrible SEO looks like. And I, I think the world would be a better place if we didn't do those kinds of things. That's the main call to action. I would, I could never expect, you know, the, the thousands of people who read my book to all reach out to me. If they do, if anybody reaches out to me after reading the book, I actually respond to all those emails. Um, mm. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I connect back with you. If you uh, leave me a review, I'm highly appreciative. Most people, I don't know who it is that left the review, but like all those things. But the most important thing to me is do SEO this way. Don't do SEO with writing bad content. Yeah. It's it's very difficult, actually, I find personally to get a significant percentage of people who consume your content to actually raise their hands and say thanks or write some kind of comment or review in some place. I mean, I've sold a few thousand books. I've um, had um, well over um, 100,000 um, downloads of a podcast, um, but very few as a percentage of people will actually leave a review. And I guess that um, as long as if you're affecting people in some way, that will come back uh, as a positive to you at some point in the future. But it's it's difficult to measure, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, like the way I'm looking at it, so like I just looked today, I have 68 reviews. 
Mm. That seems that seems pretty good. That, that, that's know, way better than the average. Absolutely. Right. So like uh, that's a measure of how many people. Are, oh, not all of them are good reviews. That's good. But at least I I got them to to give me a bad review. Uh, I, they give me bad ratings. I I'm disappointed that not enough people will put their name behind why they get bad rating. I I want to praise the person that gave me a bad review today. Is the first person that gave me a bad review because everyone's bad rating. He said that I only talked about product led SEO for five pages in the entire book. Um, I would struggle to praise his reading comprehension because I, I may have used that word like 150 times throughout the book. So if he didn't connect all those dots, I, I apologize. There's yeah. more than five pages to talk about it. But, um, you know, so I look at the amount of emails I get and the reviews I get, and I, I guess enough people were encouraged by what I wrote. And I'm sure some people were disappointed, but I'm, I'm just glad that that's out there. And it's, you know, you wrote a book, so it's a magical feeling to know like, hey, people are reading something I put a lot of work into. Yeah, absolutely. And you're never going to resonate with everyone. You're targeting obviously a certain person. And if the book hits the hands of someone that isn't your target market, then perhaps that will result in a negative review. But hey, ho, it's not the right person for you. Exactly. Well, let's finish off by shifting the focus to someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? So I'm going to go with anonymous marketers, multiple of them. Uh, I hate to call out people by name without getting their permission. But what I would say is since I published the book, I've had a number of junior marketers or people pivoting their careers reach out to me on LinkedIn or on email put my email and address in the book and asking me questions. And what we can learn from all of them is that they had the courage to do that. And I answer all their questions and I've gotten on the phone with some of them and I've even met two of them for coffee in person uh, now that pandemic restrictions are ending. And what I would say is there is never harm in reaching out to anybody, especially if they give you their email address and asking questions. Like the worst thing you'll get is you'll get ghosted. So what? So like that won't ruin your day that no one ever responded. No one's ever going to respond negatively and say, why are you bothering me? Not if they gave you out their email address. So what I'd say is anybody early in their career, if you want to learn something from somebody, anybody out there in marketing or anything else, reach out to them and, and ask them for you know encouragement, inspiration, ideas. Some of the people that have written um, blurbs in, in the front of my book, I did just that. You know, I was casually connected to them or met them years ago, and I reached out and said, could you do me a favor? Uh, would you write a blurb for my book? And my surprisingly, I had a very high percentage of people respond. Some people ghosted me, and some people said, no, I'm too busy, but it happens. Right. Yes. I would, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't get anything. So absolutely. What, I would, yeah. what you can learn from all, from anybody, uh, any junior marketer and what all, all junior marketers should do. And those that have reached out to me and what everyone else should do is, you know, if you want to learn from other people, just ask. Great advice. A wonderful way to finish up. So this was episode 254 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Eli Schwartz from elishwartz.co shared, you don't necessarily have to start with SEO, start with paid search. Focus on user experience. Talk to your users. Google, don't focus on one single metric. So don't look at something like click-through rates um, or any other single metric and expect that to, by itself, impact your SEO. Also, SEO's top of funnel, social media middle, paid search bottom. Many other great tips as well. Your secret software, Ely, was calendar.com. Uh, you also shared Nightwatch.io and Rank Ranger. 
Your next on the list was email marketing. Uh, you're using MailChimp and Sandbox at the moment, but just getting on with email marketing is probably one of the most important things that you need to do next. And as a magical marketer, I think for the first um, time, no single marketer was shouted out. It's all about junior marketers who have the courage to ask Eli a question. Reach out um, to who you think is a thought leader and can teach you more. Ask them a question. You never were, know where that relationship is going to get you. Eli, where's the best um, social platform for someone to reach out to you and say hi? LinkedIn. Just look for my name and Twitter uh, at 5LE. Superb stuff. Well, thanks for coming on. I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com